I'm Rachel Moore, President and CEO of the Music Center in Los Angeles. Thank you for joining us for our podcast series, Offstage and Unbound. In this episode, we'll speak with Ashley Weeder, Artistic Director of the Joffrey Ballet, which returns to the Music Center March 9th through March 17th with a stunning retelling of the perennial classic, Romeo and Juliet. It's an absolute joy to welcome the Joffrey Ballet back to the Music Center. Ashley, welcome back to Los Angeles and to Offstage and Unbound. Thank you so much for joining us. Rachel, I think it's very special for all of us at the Joffrey to be coming back to Los Angeles. And so we are just so looking forward to being back at the Music Center. Excellent. So I thought it would be interesting to start with your journey. I think that we can all tell that you're not a native of Chicago. So if you could just give a brief sketch of, you know, your artistic journey, your training, etc., that would be great. So um, I'll be very brief. I started at the Royal Ballet School, and I went through the lower school and then into the upper school. I had many opportunities in that time to perform at Covent Garden. Through the years, I I entered the Royal Ballet. But after a couple of years, I went to London Festival Ballet, specifically to really dance with Rudolf Nureyev. He was doing Romeo and Juliet and Sleeping Beauty for them. And it was really an amazing opportunity. I then went across the world to Melbourne to join the Australian Ballet. And it was in Australia where I met Gerard Alpino, who invited me to New York to meet Robert Joffrey. And so after three and a half years in Australia, I got on a plane and I arrived in New York, my first time ever in America. And I met Robert Joffrey and I joined the company. And that was in 1984. And then in 1989, I went to San Francisco Ballet where I remained for 18 years until I was asked to come and apply for the position of artistic director of the Joffrey Ballet in 2007. So when you joined the Joffrey, Mr. Joffrey was clearly very involved. This is prior to his illness. What were the things that really are highlights of working with him that you remember? First of all, he was an amazingly passionate man. He loved the art form at every level. He went to see everything that was ever being performed in New York. He was a brilliant teacher. And you felt with him in the studio that... You wanted to really achieve a level, and Joffrey had high expectations for everyone in his company. Anyway, at that time, you know, Robert Joffrey brought in John Cranko's Romeo and Juliet, uh, Midsummer Night's Dream. We did a new Nutcracker. We did the reconstruction of La Sacre de Printemps. He also reconstructed Balanchine's Cotillon. And so in amongst all of that, we also had William Forsythe, Mark Morris, Paul Taylor, new young up-and-coming choreographers. And I think that what he showed me was that dance is a vast, vast world. And that our circumference is classical ballet, but our outer reaches are all forms of dance. And so he really opened my eyes to a different way of thinking about the art form. So when you were at San Francisco, you were a dancer, and then you moved into a more leadership role. Was that a difficult transition for you? When I went to San Francisco, I was very fortunate. Helgi was an amazing director. There are things that I wanted in my career. I wanted to dance the Balanchine and Robbins repertoire. I also danced a lot of other incredible people. But I had a very bad accident to my neck and consequently my spine. And so... 
the end of my career was kind of a fait accompli. Mm -hmm. I had no choice. Uh, they had to do a lot of surgery. But Helgi was really there for me every step of the way. And he had told me, even before I got injured, that he wanted me to be on the ballet staff at San Francisco Ballet. Did you find it hard to take sort of ballet masterly roles with your former colleagues? I would have to say I didn't find it a difficult transition. And maybe because I was very passionate about the art form and that I was always able to be respectful in the studio. And I think that my colleague also had a respect for my passion for the dance. And so in an amazing way, I have to say it was kind of a seamless, incredibly respectful transition. So in 2007, when you returned to the Joffrey as artistic director, the Joffrey had moved from New York to Chicago. It had gone through, as many dance companies have, good times and bad times. What were your thoughts when you rejoined the company, and were you looking to make it part of Chicago? Absolutely. And I think that until you're in the middle of your position, until you get in there and find out just where everything is, you can look from the outside and say, yes, this company should be better than what it is. Yes, there are many, many issues here. And I think that what I realized was that the company that I remembered under Robert Joffrey was a very different company in 2007. And I think the transition to Chicago had been an amazing gift to the company. And I think equally, the Joffrey is now a gift to the city. And so it was really about building trust, building excellence, building a repertoire that would be engaging for our subscribers. And it has been a kind of monumental task to just really wanting to show the art form at its highest possible level. Right. In the ballet world right now, we're sort of on the precipice of a generational shift of artistic directors retiring. And I was thinking that boards of directors are usually the ones that hire artistic directors. And if you had any thoughts or advice for a, a board of directors on what to look for as a potential artistic director, given that there isn't really artistic director school in the ballet world. Right. And I think that's an amazing question. I mean, I think that there are so many different ways to answer that. I mean, I can speak from my own personal experience here at the Joffreys. So I have been here for 10 years. And I think that the board of directors have seen what has happened to the Joffrey in terms of, if I think about the trajectory of our subscribers, our single ticket sales, balancing our budget, increasing our budget and balancing it, having the academy and the community engagement programs. So we're very much a part of Chicago. And we have talked about what does succession look like for an organization? And I think that it's a conversation that maybe many board of directors do not have. But I think that we have been incredibly open and transparent about it because I think that when you've come so far on a journey, what you don't want to happen is to have a downslide. You want the next generation to pick up all the great things that have happened. I believe that, you know, I will have done hopefully a great job by being a steward for the Joffrey Ballet. And I know Greg Cameron, who's our brilliant executive director, feels the same way, that we want to pass on the company 
in the best possible shape artistically, financially, that has stability and growth and a vision. That's great. So we in Los Angeles love the Joffrey and are very excited to have you guys back and to have the company perform Romeo. And Romeo and Juliet is an extraordinary ballet. Clearly, the Prokofiev score is one of the most glorious in the ballet canon. You have either danced in or seen, I'm sure, all the iconic Romeos. Is there a through line that you see through every production, including this one by Christoph of Romeo? I, I think so. I think that, you know, what what is so interesting about Romeo and Juliet, and I think a lot about Shakespeare's works, is that they are kind of timeless in the fact that the story of Romeo and Juliet is happening today. And it happened hundreds of years ago. And we look at love, which is a profoundly important part of our humanity. And so I think that Prokofiev gave us a brilliant score for Romeo and Juliet. And I think what everyone has tried to show is that in amongst conflict, love can survive Mm. and thrive. Mm -hmm. And, of course, there is a terrible miscommunication of a letter. But I do think that at its heart is that how do we see love in amongst conflict? And I think that that was Kenneth's idea when you look at his Romeo and Juliet or Rudolf Nureyev's or John Cranko. And I think that Christoph's telling, of course, is much more of the 20th century. And it's more cinematic, I think, in terms of how he's juxtapositioned life at that time of the 20th century and the conflict that was happening in Europe and Italy particularly, against two people that fell in love. It also strikes me that we in this country live in a very divided time. And one of the great gifts I think the arts have is to remind us that we're more similar than different. And that message seems to be at root in this ballet as well. Absolutely. I think that we, on our daily lives, we look at the horrors that are in our society. And surely there comes a time that something has to shock us to make us realize that we need to put aside our differences and we need to understand tolerance and acceptance. And I think in a way, you know, Christoph, when he was creating his Romeo and Juliet, what happened in Bosnia had a great effect on him. One, because he was working there during the war and, and got bullets in, his, in the studio. There was a bomb and he got shrapnel in his uh, body. And I think that, you know, when you're an artist and you're surrounded by such hostility and yet within our art form, it's this amazing expressive freedom. So I think that there's a bit of a shock element to Christoph production because he wants us to kind of think to ourselves, is that really acceptable? Mm -hmm. Yeah. The world premiere was in 2008 in Europe. When did you first see this? And was this your first exposure to Christoph's choreography? It was. It was with Scottish Ballet that he uh, created Romeo and Juliet under the direction of Ashley Page, who I know very, very well. And I think that, you know, I had heard about Christoph uh, for many years because he was the resident choreographer at the Dutch National Ballet. And I think that when I saw his Romeo and Juliet, it had a profound effect on me in, in a way that I thought was so relevant for today's audience. 
And I think having danced, you know, Macmillan and Cranko and Nuria and Thomason and all these other productions, it spoke to me on a very visceral level mm-hmm. of his the use of it's it's the use of classical ballet, but not in such a classical idiom. So it has a more contemporary feel to it. Uh-huh. And the action keeps evolving. So we're not going from one scene into blackout into another scene, blackout into another scene. It's like it keeps moving, which is why I say in this kind of cinematic way. Right. With the company coming to Los Angeles, it's sort of in a different format than in the past in that in addition to doing uh, Romeo and Juliet, you'll also be performing with the Los Angeles Opera in Orpheus and Eurydice. You know, in Europe, it is very common for ballet companies to also perform in operas in, you know, major opera houses. But this is more unusual in the United States. And how has the company been adapting to being sort of the center of the artistic work to being a partner in the artistic work? You know, I think that the collaboration of Orsay has been an unbelievable experience for everybody. I think to have John Neumeyer come to the Joffrey Ballet and create very much a part of, of the Orsay, I think that how ballet companies and opera companies or ballet companies and symphony orchestras and theatre companies collaborate and look at what they can do collectively, you're bringing the power of the arts together in a really thoughtful way. And I think that particularly Gluck's Orphée, and this is the French version, which was adapted when they performed it in, in Paris, to have more music for dance. Ah. And so John, John has used all of that. And I think that his vision of how he saw the story of Orphée is very different than probably many other people have thought about it. But I think it is an amazingly compelling opera. And the success that we had here in Chicago with the Lyric Opera was profoundly moving for everyone, for the audience, but I think for both singers and for dancers. And so having that opportunity to work with L.A. Opera, for us it's like an amazing experience to come back to Los Angeles to be able to present ourselves in our own world with Romeo and Juliet, but also to show what the collaborative forces of two companies. So one of the specialties in the dance world are conductors who largely conduct dance versus musicians. And I'm just wondering, in the dance world, the conductor actually watches the dancers and can, depending on the, the ballet and the music, be more or less adaptive to the dancers and their tempi. Have you seen the same? I mean, was there any sort of learning curve around that with the dancers going to the opera? Do you know, Rachel, I think that it goes back probably nine years ago when we started to collaborate with Cleveland Orchestra. Uh huh. And I had a long conversation with the Cleveland Orchestra, and they were like, you know, well, how do you feel about having a symphonic conductor? And my feeling about music is that if a conductor has a point of view about a score and we understand where that journey is taking us, we can be there with them. And I think that, you know, you and I grew up in a world where we had two tempos. It was either too fast or too slow, and it was never exactly what we wanted. That's right. (laughs) And I think the mentality now has shifted, especially at the Joffrey, that dancers have to trust their art form and their technique 
and their experience to be able to work within the structure of the score. So we've done many things with Cleveland. We did Orsay. We had absolutely no problems with Harry Beckett. And I know James Conlon from his performances at Ravinia. And I think that James has a passion for opera and for music and for ballet. And I think that I don't see us struggling with that relationship. That's great. So finally, I think that relevance is a notion that is core to discussions around the development of not just dance as an art form, but performing arts centers, music, theater. At the Joffrey, how are you embracing that notion and building for the future? I think that I'm very open-minded. I think that the collaboration with the Lyric was kind of an amazing outing of what the possibilities could be in the future. We have just announced that we will be performing with the Chicago Symphony Orchestra at Symphony Center. Oh, wow. In a, in a chamber program, which I think will be wonderful. It's Stravinsky program. I think we will continue our relationship with Cleveland. I think it's about being very open and not looking at your organization as a silo within the arts. Right. But we should be more collaborative within the arts and to cross our boundaries for the greater good of, of what it really is to be relevant. And I think that coming up in April, we have a multi-dynamic performance of Alexander Ekman's Midsummer Night's Dream, which has this incredible rock singer from Sweden who's very much a part of it. And so how do we engage audiences in different ways of looking at, at an art form and people not thinking, well, ballet is ballet and I'm not sure I like it, as opposed to thinking of ballet as part of the bigger picture of dance. Right, right. Well, we are very excited about your arrival in the companies, and I think this is going to be a really wonderful experience. And thank you so much for taking the time for doing this podcast. Oh, it's a pleasure. And I know that L.A. is a very special place. And even the new generation of Joffrey dancers, I think that they realize that the history that we have had in L.A. has been very, a very important part of it. So to come back to Los Angeles with two works that I think are truly kind of groundbreaking, we couldn't ask for more. Excellent. Excellent. Thank and you. And I think it's a warmer there. Yeah, it is a bit warmer. <laughs> Thanks so much, Ashley. And when you get here, we need to plan a dinner or something. We certainly do. (laughs) It's really good to catch up. Yes. Thank you so much. And thank you for listening to the Music Center's podcast series, Offstage and Unbound. For more information about our dance series, Gloria Kaufman Presents Dance at the Music Center, please visit musiccenter.org. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe to our podcast series on iTunes. Until next time, I'm Rachel Moore.